Welcome to the Cost of Goods Told podcast. My name is Connor. I'm a chef and media producer. This week we are joined by Aaron Fegis of Fegis Barbecue. If y'all haven't listened to our interview with Patrick and Aaron Fegis, uh, please go back and give that one a listen. It gives you a little bit of background on both Patrick and Aaron Fegis. Uh, we dedicate the first part to, uh, we dedicate part one of the podcast. Uh, episode to Patrick and then part two to uh, Aaron Fegis and really get a wonderful background um, and her story from New York all the way here in Houston to opening up Fegis Barbecue. Uh, we did this one over Zoom and unfortunately Darren wasn't able to hop on the Zoom call uh, due to work. Uh, so there are a couple spots where uh, the audio drops out and there is going to be one hard cut uh, at this interview uh, because we lost connection with Aaron, but, uh, y'all give this one a listen, um, and enjoy. Uh, I'd also like to say thank you to our sponsors, Zero Point Organics and Bernie Brand Hot Sauce, uh, for making this podcast possible. Y'all enjoy the podcast. The Cost of Goods Told podcast is made possible by the following sponsors. Chriswell Culinary aims to create a new standard of unique, affordable hot sauces that satisfies the more developed cravings of today. Bernie Brand Texas-style hot sauce is a boldly layered sauce with density and personality to proudly represent Texas. Go to BernieBrand.com to find a retailer near you. That's Bernie, B-O-E-R-N-E, Brand.com. Zero Point Organics grows and supplies microgreens for over 30 major restaurants in the Houston area. Consistently perfect quality in flavor and appearance, their microgreens will be the best you or your customers have ever had every single time. Go to zero, Z-E-R-O dash pointorganics.com. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. Hi, hi. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Did what you else? read what Chris Shepard put out? Yeah, I just he, reposted it. Um, <laughs> I feel like there have never been words that echoed my own sentiment more. I mean, like, how many times do we have to pivot? How many new business models do we have to create? And the answer is as many as it takes. <laughs> I mean, that's like, right? Like until this is over, you've just got to keep going and it's, it's endless and it is exhausting. Yeah. Uh, and that's basically the best way I feel like you can sum it up. I'm setting up a little makeshift podcast thing. The signal <laughs> should be better over here. Thanks. But uh, you honestly just never know. Right. And, uh, in the hub, <laughs> in the, in hub. the green way. Yeah. yeah, a guy like Chris with, you know, cookbook and resources and investors with deep pockets, you just go, well, if he's, if he's struggling, you know, it's just got me going, oh my God, you know, for everybody, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one of those things. There is no, I, I truly don't think there's a restaurant in this city um, that isn't impacted by this. And we all think Chris is kind of like the king of the city and it just goes to show it's literally affecting everybody. Um, and I, I think you could argue he's got some of the most popular, you know, in town restaurants and even they're struggling. It's hard. I mean, it's hard when the guidelines, um, you know, 50%, 75% back to 50%. I mean, how do you keep juggling that? Um, and keeping your staff safe and keeping, you know, the public safe. It's, it, I, it keeps me up at night. I'm sure it keeps everybody up. Um, mm -hmm. It's really scary. Yeah. And, 
and I don't think the the idea of putting the onus on restaurants to enforce customers wearing masks was the was the proper call. You know, it's yeah. we can barely regulate it. You know, and 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 keep our staff functioning properly. Let alone, okay, now I have to worry about the customer coming in and me getting fined, or, you know, or right. what have you, you know. So yeah. it's 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 this it's this two edged sword that it just keeps swinging at y'all, you know, and it's like, good <laughs> God. <laughs> well, I like when we put that post out about the mask. Um, we really <laughs> didn't expect that to be like a big controversial post, especially given that I think it was pretty widely known that that was a requirement of restaurants. Right. <laughs> um, so it was, it was uh, interesting um, just to get to see how people reacted to that. I mean, most people I think really understood, but obviously there were a few that um, decided that they would never eat our barbecue again. And, you know, I don't really know how I feel about that other than, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Sorry. And, and I didn't mean to like jump on there and use y'all as the example, because I know that that, that even with the, the limited follow, not the limited following, but not the huge following that I have, but even with the following that I have, it kind of brought more attention to it. And I don't know if other people started piling on, but I just started seeing the comments and I was just like, I just, I just wanted to reach through the computer and just start wringing everybody's necks. Like, do you not understand, yeah. you know? So I can't imagine yeah. on, on y'all's end because like I said in the post too, um, y'all do so much outside of that restaurant. You with the, you know, like I'll have what she's having and, and all of the things that, you know, Patrick and you do. For them to say, well, I'm just not going to support y'all because you're doing what the government is requiring y'all to do. It's like, that, that's the problem. The messaging is the problem. The, the, yeah. the idea and, and the non-clear and concise messaging from the top is, is, is trickling down and hurting everybody, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. We, um... I feel like Facebook is probably the worst platform ever um, for, for any type of like opinionated messaging because it's, you know, everything's read as like hyper aggressive, especially lately. And so we did one of the most mature things we've ever done as business owners. And that was like, we carried on those conversations with those individuals privately. Um, and in the end, actually kind of, got them, I think, to understand our point of view. Um, I'm not saying that we've completely turned them into mask wares, but I think that they just understand as a business owner, the number of things that we're having to be responsible for and worry about. And um, so I think that because we were able to do that, it didn't show through the thread, but like privately, we were able to kind of like explain why we have to do it and why it's the right thing to do for us and for our business and for our staff and for our customers. And so, um, yeah, we were able to kind of work through that. But yeah, I'm, I've almost gotten off of Facebook. It's just, it's, uh, it's so heated. Like nobody can just, nobody can just say what they want to say. Everybody has to say it like in all caps with exclamation points and, um, I just don't think you get through to people that way. So, yeah, um, I've gotten off of Twitter because it was so toxic, and I and I just kind of and it was hard to kind of 
see the messaging that I want to see, you know, or just hear from the people that I want to hear um, without deep yeah. diving into the comments and everything. And I think Facebook is starting to get that way. And I'm like, my, my last recipe is <laughs> Instagram. Come on guys. Don't, don't F it up. Let me just see pictures right. of great barbecue and food. That's all I want. <laughs> like, I just want to see pictures of babies guys. It's so non-controversial. <laughs> So, um, yeah. I'm actually recording Aaron, if that's okay. I, I think, yeah. I think, you know, if it's okay, we'll, we'll just continue this conversation. Um, I'll do an intro, um, uh, and, and post-production or whatnot to this, but, um, you know, with, with, with everything that's going on, um, I know, I know we had a great podcast, um, with you and Patrick, where you told us about your background and everything. I think, uh, this one, we kind of want to talk about, um, you know, not necessarily what's all going on with COVID, but I mean, that's obviously going to come up. Um, but I want to talk about the different things that, you know, y'all are still working on. Um, and, you know, what's, uh, what's kind of happening with, you know, the different movements and so forth, you know, and, and how y'all are still, you know, trying to implement change yeah. and impacts um, in the restaurant industry which it's kind of strange. I was listening to the David Chang podcast and he was talking about there needs to be fundamental change in the restaurant industry. And if any time was to do it, it's kind of during a pandemic, which is kind of strange to say, but it's also, I'm going to choose to see the silver lining a little bit <laughs> as, as a positive. Um, because if yeah. there's any, any time to start changing restaurant models, you've almost been forced to do that. Um, yeah. You know, if you could talk about some of the things that y'all are doing that have been positive, I know that, you know, Cindy and I, we've picked up the, um, the vacuum sealed um, meals and those are absolutely wonderful. I think I've talked about that on other podcasts as well because they were so good. Um, y'all have been doing pop-ups. Um, y'all are back open at Greenway Plaza, you know, so um, yeah. what's, what's kind of been you know, going through, through your head with all of these different, you know, business transitions? <laughs> um, gosh. Okay. So since March, we've basically changed our business model probably 400 different times. You know, we're closing for lunch. We're, um, we're going to start vacuum sealing our barbecue and selling it cold with reheating instructions. And then we did dinner packs and some things were successful and some things weren't successful. So we just kind of kept holding on to the things that were working and then quickly letting go of the things that weren't working so that we could move on to the next thing that would hopefully work. And all of this was just in an effort to drive revenue. Um, it's no longer about what our original like business model was, right? I mean, it's just about how do we get revenue? How do we get our barbecue out to people in a form where they can buy it and it's easy enough um, for them to consume it. And so we've really kind of tapped into this farmer's market idea of selling the bulk barbecue. Um, and we sell our bulk barbecue throughout the week and our bulk barbecue makes up 50% of our sales. So 50% of the barbecue we sell is cold. Okay. It's not even, it's not even ready to eat. It's cooked, it's smoked, um, but it's cold. And so if you'd asked me like three years ago, you know, if, if, like, could I have even envisioned this? The answer is, of course not. Like, we we never set out to be to be comprised of fifty percent sales coming from cold barbecue. But um, it it turns out it reheats really well. Um, we provide reheating instructions, and it gives people the ability to consume it at home where they feel safe. 
um, and with their families and they have leftovers. And so it works, it's worked out really well for us and we'll probably continue to do it forever. Um, we are still open for lunch. It's, it's a, lunch is a very volatile business. It's hit or miss. Um, we no longer have, you know, this huge office complex full of people that we can just, you know, reach out and grab them. Um, we really have to work hard for our lunch sales. And it's taught us a whole lot about marketing, a whole lot about um, really capitalizing on social media. And I think Patrick and I used to do like one or two posts a week. Um, and they were somewhat arbitrary posts. Like, you know, maybe it was a special or maybe we were just being goofy or filmed a staff member. It was a birthday. I mean, they were like, not essential. Um, every post right now is essential. If we don't post for a day, we see the difference in sales. Like it's like you have to recapture your audience every 24 hours. Wow. Um, you have to remind them of what you're doing every week, even if you do the same things every week. It's like mm -hmm. we are constantly fighting against the massive amounts of, of data that's just being thrown at people. Um, no, my bad. I think the we've had our internet was out, you know, on top of everything, our internet was out for an entire day along with our phone lines. Um, when virtually almost all of our business has become online business with curbside delivery requiring our phone. Um, and then yesterday our, or Sunday, our walk-in cooler went out. So it's like the universe is full, literally throwing the full gamut, uh, at us, but that's probably what's affecting the internet connection. I keep telling, I keep telling everybody, like, it's like, what do we have to sacrifice? Is it, we got to go out and, you know, sacrifice a lamb or something and cook it or, you know, just like give everybody a good vibe. Right. You know? <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do whatever we need to do. It's yeah, crazy. Right. How's everything at the restaurant today? Um, it's, it was a little bit slow. So Burger Chan reopened today, which is mm -hmm. really good. Um, we're really happy to have them back. But of course that means that we're, we're back to splitting our, we're sharing, we're sharing our customers. Um, and so we were kind of expecting it to be a little bit, uh, slower than you slower than slower <laughs> since it's already slower. Um, but it, it at least allowed me to come home. Is uh rice box open and Greenway? So Greenway coffee is, is open uh, with a limited coffee menu and Burger Chan reopened today. We're open. And then um, there's a Mediterranean restaurant. That's it. Everybody else um, has remained closed since March. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what's the office situation? Like Cindy, um, my wife is back at work and they're, full campus, everything going, but I know a lot of other people aren't. What's the situation at Greenway? Um, we, so we're trying to work with the management company to get a more accurate headcount of who's coming in to the office every day, but it's actually really challenging to do. Um, so they're basically tracking parking spaces, like how many cars are parking every day. And the reality is we're looking at, you know, like less than, less than 10% of the available parking spaces are being used. Um, and, and we're not even entirely sure that all of those are cars um, that are not contract workers because um, there's a lot of construction and stuff going on um, inside the office buildings. So yeah, I mean, it's a really hard number to gauge, but my, my overall consensus is that it's very low and we're certainly not seeing the foot traffic of the office worker coming back. Um, and 
what, what increases we were seeing two weeks ago have already declined again. Um, so people are, people that were kind of venturing out are now back home. Um, they've, <laughs> they've just decided it's safer to be home. So. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a tough location. I mean, it's like the perfect pickup spot because it's like covered parking and everything like that <laughs> to swing in, you know, it's just yeah. a strange location sometimes, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're, I think Burger Chan and Fiji's Barbecue, we're just in the, we're trying to think of like all the silver linings for the location. You know, the fact that we have covered curbside parking um, and we're, we're trying to reach out as much as we can and let people know, um, you know, here's how you can get to us. Here's how we can get our food to you. You know, when it's raining like it is today, um, here's this really convenient curbside underground option. Right. Um, and we've seen a lot. I mean, I have to say, even though the office foot traffic is down, um, you know, we're still seeing people coming in from outside wanting to support both of our businesses. And so um, it means a lot that people are going that extra effort um, to come in and get some barbecue. Well, y'all are doing something right then, you know, because it's good burgers and it's good barbecue in there for sure. So, you know, people are going to drive that extra, that extra for the good, the good stuff. Um, not to harp on the negative and so forth, but I know Cindy and I, we have conversations about the, the, the anxiety that we are experiencing just from the normal everyday activities, whether that's okay, do we keep Lachlan, our son in school? Do we, you know, try and dine out? Do we try and do this? Do we try and do that? And then, you know, just the worries and the things that are just naturally coming. I can't imagine that additional pressure um, as, as the business owner, you know, as, yeah. as someone who has not just staff, but incredible staff. Like I've had the chance to talk to your staff and they're just all great people. And I know as a team, and I've seen it from your posts, and I've seen it when, when I talk to them, that, you know, a lot of businesses will say, oh, we're a family, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a marketing ploy. Y'all's, it isn't. Um, mm -hmm. And I know y'all have to shoulder that too. That's, you know, and Cindy and I both just look at each other and we just go, God, I can't imagine having that additional pressure, you know? Yeah. What, it's a lot. Oh, it's a what's lot. your coping mechanism? <laughs> The coping mechanism is that you have, like, we just maintain a, a massive amount of stress at all times. So you're never allowed to focus on any one stressor <laughs> too much because you're immediately pulled into the next thing. And um, it's a quite unhealthy coping mechanism, but it's gotten us to this point. We're so busy. And I honestly, it's like 24 hours a day. Um, we really aren't sleeping very much because we're just constantly thinking about the next issue that we've got to try to overcome. And so because there's so many issues, we just, you don't have time to really feel sorry for yourself and you don't have time to focus on any one thing for too long. You solve a problem and then you just immediately move on to the next problem. And, and that's really worked for us um, since March. My fear is that um, one day it will all catch up to us and we're either going to have like this massive mental breakdown um, or, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but we, so we haven't announced this publicly yet, but we have decided we had a meeting with our team and I think especially with our my general manager who have been 
in the trenches since this started. Um, we just really need a break and there's no way to get a break. Um, we're working seven days a week. We're operating seven days a week. We're selling barbecue. You know, we're not opening Greenway Plaza seven days, but we're selling barbecue seven days a week. And it's just this massive amount of organization um, and work that's required to keep all of that going. Um, and of course, all the pivoting. And we talked earlier about all the social media. And the only way to get a break is to close. And so we are going to be closing from January 20th through the 24th. So we close Monday through Friday. Um, our whole team, we are just going to take that time off. I mean, we don't even have anything planned. It's not like we're going on vacation, obviously. Um, right. We just need to be we just need to, to be thinking about something else because this is literally all we've thought about uh, since March is COVID, business during COVID, um, you know, all the millions of ways that we pivot and try to maintain revenue. And it, it's going to hurt. I mean, there's no way that the, that the missing revenue won't hurt, but I feel like it's kind of like you have to listen to your body every once in a while. And we need that mental break in order to come back stronger. and. Um, just to be able to, to, to last, uh, to mentally be able to handle all the hurdles that we know are coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I've seen quite a, quite a few places simply just say we're closing to give ourselves a break. And I'm like, well, if you're at, you know, let's say 50% <laughs> occupancy and your sales are down 50%, like, are you really that busy? And then it's like, well, no, wait a second, that mental pressure, even it's kind of like what you were talking about, sales may be down, but you're operating seven days a week to capture just that 20%, that 30% or whatever it's going to be, yeah. or, you know, of, of what it was. But the work to get that is three, four, five times more, you know? Exactly. Um, I'm glad that y'all are taking that thing. Um, on, a, on a personal side note, from what I've seen that you've posted and, and all the interactions that y'all have had with uh, Wyatt, it seems like he is not affected by that. And when Cindy and I, we had um, some health struggles and it, it could have really um, could have really been reflected in how Lachlan was behaving. And, and you know, uh, it could have, you know, children just absorb that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, from what I've seen from Wyatt, it seems like y'all are doing a fantastic job as parents, not necessarily keeping it from him, but not allowing it to affect his you know, his mental um, stamina or, you know, how he's acting. He just seems like a happy kid. That mullet is coming yeah. in great. He seems to <laughs> still be enjoying time with mom and dad. And that could easily be seen from the outside as, uh, you know, as a kid could regress a little bit because mom yeah. and dad are so stressed. So huge kudos to y'all for that, because I know that that's not easy. You know, I know that's not easy as a parent, you know, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's, he is like our big distraction in the greatest way possible. Cause he, he's too young to understand it. Um, he doesn't, you know, he has no idea what's going on. So we've just been committed to making the changes in his life as, um, as little as possible. Um, and he's actually had a lot of really good one-on-one -on -one time with my parents. Um, they've, they've stepped up a lot. And so in, in his world, it's just like, that's, you know, it's great. He gets to go over to their house. He's swimming all the time with them. Um, so he's, he's helped us, I think through it. Like he's our little mental break. It's obviously it's hard. Like kids are work and he's, he's for sure exhausting and he's running around everywhere. 
But because we don't have to talk to him about coronavirus, he doesn't know what it is. Uh, he's not asking us questions. Like he's not even really talking yet. We get to just have fun with him. He's this huge distraction at the end of the day. It's like, okay, let's just go get in the mind of a 18 month old kid and, um, and kind of live there for a little while. Yeah. So he, he, that's a, that's a nice part of all of this. I think if he was older, if he was older and knew what was going on, our challenges would be even more so because we, we'd be really trying to balance, um, his awareness of it. Not just awareness, but I mean, you know, I, I think it was the New York times had, had a publication and they were talking about, you could either have a kid or you can have a job during COVID-19. And it was like, yeah you know, fuck, there are parents that have to teach their kids and, and really worry about, you know, the, the education that they're going to get, you know, in a couple months, they got to decide, you know, are we sending them three days, one day, whatever it is. Goodness. It's it's crazy. So I read that same article and this is something that we have said from the very beginning when we knew this wasn't going to be an eight week thing, right? We've said, we, we have no idea what the business cycle is going to look like. We have no idea when people are going to come back to the office buildings, but we do know for sure that if school doesn't start in the fall, that these office buildings will not be repopulated right. um, because there's just no way that a corporation can expect their workforce to come back without a good childcare solution and, and education solution. And the reality is, even though the governor has kind of announced some things, I still think we really don't know what fall's going to look like. I think people that have school-aged kids still feel like there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think the whole economy and being able to get back to work is really going to be about focusing on the infrastructure for the school year. And what does that look like? And are kids physically back in school or not physically back in school? And if kids are not physically back in school, um, the burden on parents with school-aged kids is astronomical. I mean, even though Patrick and I have a gazillion hardships, the fact that Wyatt is not school-aged, um, I think has made a big difference for us because if he was and I was responsible for his education right now, I, I honestly don't know how, you know, I like to say it would be impossible because I just cannot fathom uh, having to, to get both of those things done. Um, obviously, everything would suffer. <laughs> Right. work would suffer and his, you know, his education would suffer. So I feel for parents um, across the country. And I think if we were being really smart, we would be dedicating all of our um, resources to figuring out the education issue, because I think that's going to set the tone for the economy issue um, and being able to get back and, and trying to come up with some real solutions that mm -hmm. work for teachers, that work for students, that work for parents. Um, and unfortunately, I just don't think enough resources are being dedicated to affect all of us. I mean, even if you don't have kids, it will affect you inevitably because it's going to affect the way going back to work looks. Mm -hmm. um, with the organization of the, like, I'll have what she's having, are these discussions that are going on? I know that there's a lot of discussions going on and there's <laughs> a lot of different movements, but I mean, you know, uh, not to take away from any one organization or one movement's pain or suffering or, or momentum, but other things pop up while this is happening. Is this something that yeah. y'all are discussing, you know, within that group? You know, some of these conversations, even prior to COVID-19, are still very pertinent to now. Our organization has always existed because there is 
just huge discrepancies in the healthcare system and who the healthcare system represents and who has access and who doesn't have access. And this current situation, this pandemic, I think just really has shined this light on the fact that um, what most people I think can ignore if it's not right in front of them, which is there are a lot of people that do not have access to good healthcare. And when you're in a health crisis that is affecting you know, hundreds of millions of people, it's global, it's affecting everybody, the people that don't have access, that's who we're really seeing you know, come forward. That's who we're seeing dying from this, um, you know, dying from this disease. Um, that's where that it's awareness of, of the actual issue with healthcare. And if you've always had access to healthcare, if you've grown up with healthcare and you've always had it, you will never truly understand what it's like to not have access to it and how important it is to have facilities um, and places where you can go and get treated, um, whether or not you have health care, whether or not you have health insurance. Um, so that has always been a, a, a mission of ours. And I think we recognize now more than ever that it goes beyond just the female concern, but just how do we get access to our community? Um, we know that a lot of industry workers are uninsured. We've always known that. Um, so now it's how do we how do we make sure people know where they can get tested, where they can get good care, good affordable, possibly even free care. So those are all really important, um, even like microscope issues for us uh, with all have what she's having. We also pivoted like very quickly as an organization to um, trying to provide money-making opportunities. And we've never been a money-making for-profit um, organization, but we started saying, okay, we've got a lot of, you know, we're chef-based and we've got a lot of people that are unemployed right now. How can we get some income for them? So the platform itself of All Have What She's Having, um, you know, dedicated its website and some of its resources to being able to put together um, cooking class webinars and um, planned meal, you know, meal kits and stuff like that to help some people maintain a revenue stream for themselves. Um, obviously, none of that stuff is going through all have what she's having, but mm -hmm. it was in some ways facilitated by the organization in order to make those resources available and to make those things possible. Um, but gosh, I mean, like the needs of the community continue to shift, you know, um, especially now that it seems like it's really the burden is really falling on bartenders and, and the bar community. So how do we support the bar community? Um, it's just like this ever evolving, you know, train. And the reality is we're also all so consumed in our own issues. Mm -hmm. um, so there's days where, you know, I'll get three or four, I'll have what she's having emails. And I'm just like, my response is like, I'm sorry, I just can't get to this today. And it's never been like that before. And, you know, we've never been so consumed with our own problems that we, we really couldn't um, dedicate ourselves to the greater good. But I think that's the reality for some people on any given day. They just don't have the capacity, um, you know, to, to be involved in, in the issues of the whole. Um, but overall, I think I'll have what she's having has... Um, done a lot of really good things since COVID-19 happened. I think, you know, one of the founders, Lori Choi has been, she's, she's a medical professional. She's a 
cardiovascular surgeon. So her awareness is so different than ours of what, you know, what is the, what is the healthcare worker thinking? How are they approaching situations? How are they approaching spread? How are they approaching the really explain? Oh, Aaron, it, it, uh, cut out for a quick second there. Let me let it get, uh, you said that they're talking about spread. Yeah. So, I mean, she's basically just been throughout since the beginning of this, been breaking everything down, you know, as mass guidelines come out, you know, what does this mean from a medical professional standpoint? Um, as we learn more about spread, what does this mean from a medical professional standpoint who also understands the food and beverage industry? You know, so she's basically like translating <laughs> things so that we can incorporate it into um, our business models, our procedures. Um, I think that's probably been one of the greatest tools that I'll have what she's having has provided for its members. Is she frustrated with the messaging and that, you know, whether it's the WHO or the CDC, it seems like everybody can kind of take their little nugget of a press conference and say, look, this means we don't have to wear a mask or surgeons aren't wearing masks or, you know, they want us to catch it so that we can build antibodies. Like the messaging is just so across the board that sometimes I just throw my hands up and I'm like, yeah, the simplest thing you ask me to do is wear a mask. Okay. It's a piece of cloth. I'll wear it. Whether science or whatnot, if it's just a simple act of kindness, I, I can do that, you know? Um, but I feel like the messaging is getting convoluted on both sides or however someone's trying to take it and, and turn it into a political movement or, mm -hmm. or what have you. You know, are you seeing those frustrations? So I think the most effective thing she's done is not even imply a side or anything, she just heads straight to, here is how medical professionals are handling this. Here's how medical professionals are interpreting this. And it's just a very fact-driven, <laughs> scientific-driven set of, um, I don't know what I would call them, guide, their guidelines, I guess. But from her perspective, here is how medical professionals are you know, receiving and interpreting this information. I think this would be useful for you as um, hospitality professionals, here's how you can um, employ these same guidelines that are being used in hospitals to your workspaces. Mm. Um, here's how you can keep your staff accountable. Um, here's how, you know, like it's, I don't think she, and I think the reason that she is a doctor and everything is so scientific and fact-based, it really just, just drive the, the important part of the message home. Um, which is important right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, clear cut facts. I think, you know, one of the, <clears throat> one of the sites that I was looking at was just simply, here's the numbers, here's the number of testing, <clears throat> here's the number of beds available, here's, you know, how close we are to max capacity. And it was like, okay, that's what I need. I don't need a flashy headline, you know, you're going to yeah. die or like, it's nothing, you know, like, just give me some facts. Is the Texas Restaurant Association also working with groups or like, are you able to get, I know in the early stages, it seemed like there was a lot of information coming from the Texas Restaurant Association and not that they've yeah. gone quiet. I just haven't seen it because it hasn't been on my radar. I think the Texas Restaurant Association has done a good job of continuing to provide a breakdown of the information. Um, I think one of the problems is 
every business is so unique, even though, you know, we're all doing the same thing. Um, you know, how much outdoor seating do you have? How much indoor seating do you have? How, how capable have you been to get to go and, and um, curbside going? So I think because there's a lot of uniqueness involved, I personally have taken the rest, the Texas Restaurant Association guidelines. I've always read them, but they have not always pertained to us because we're not, we don't have our own dining room. Um, so we read them. We make sure that the people that manage our food court, you know, understand, and they always have. Um, so I, ha I personally have not kind of, used that as my Bible throughout this, but I do think that it is a valuable resource for people in our community. Um, I just think it's really hard for one organization to really fully represent, um, you know, every restaurant that's out there um, and the uniqueness of all these different businesses. Yeah, I think someone had said that whoever can figure out like the algorithm of a restaurant, you know, and can digitize, you know, that sort of thing <laughs> will become a billionaire. And I'm like, there are way too many nuances, <laughs> you know, I mean, I worked in the darting concepts. And I mean, that was that was a, a, a specific, a particular set and, and formula for food. And just across mm -hmm. the restaurants, it was like, you can't figure this out. I can't imagine yeah. the nuances of, of every restaurant, you know. <laughs> Exactly. And I mean, that, I think that's what makes our industry so great under normal circumstances is that everywhere you go, it's a different new experience. Um, but when it comes to something like this, there's not one solution. Um, there's not one solution that's going to work for everybody. I think there are organizations that are doing a really good job of trying to um, just speak on behalf of the masses in terms of restaurants. And I think the Independent Restaurant Coalition um, is doing a good job. Uh, I think Southern Smoke has done a phenomenal job of, um, you know, just really trying to raise money and support um, the individuals. And, and I think that's, they're doing something different. You know, a lot of these organizations are trying to find support for the restaurant owners and the restaurants themselves. But, you know, Southern Smoke is really looking at the individual and saying, how can we get our industry and hospitality individuals um, much needed money and, and support that they need right now? Um, but gosh, I mean, it's just, it's such a mess. And I think one of the things that really frightens me is how long can we sustain this? Because I think everybody is just holding on, you know, we're, we're just like gripping the edge of the pool. How long can we do that? And how long do we need to do that? And we just don't know. I mean, nobody really knows. Yeah, I think it's tough too, because as much as everybody wants to support at some point, my bank account runs out, you know, and, and it's like, you know, I think Cindy and I have added an extra day for dining out or whatnot. But I mean, when we do our budget and so forth, it's like, okay, like, you know, we've got to pick and choose three guys mm -hmm. to support this week, you know, <laughs> and uh, I told Ara, I said, man, thank God you came out with your coffee, because a habit that I do every day, like drink coffee, I can support someone directly because I'll just buy your coffee. I may not be in the mood for your barbecue today, but I will drink that coffee, you know, cause I need my coffee fix. And yeah. I keep trying to figure out like, okay, what are these other avenues that, you know, small businesses can do? Like, what can they create that I can add into my daily habit, whether that's okay, they're going to have a book, you know, or something that I'll, I'll read or, you know, some sort of thing that I can consume outside of just what their barbecue is or what their food is. Um, but I'm pulling my hair out trying to figure that out, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, what's the turnaround time on yep. 
somebody, somebody getting a book out, you know, it's like you almost already had to have something like that. And um, no, it's, I think that's the biggest challenge that, that we're all facing is we have seen the fatigue of mm-hmm. the charity and people, and I mean that in, in the most gracious way possible. In the beginning, I feel like we actually had in the first two weeks starting, you know, like March 10th. And then when the stay at home started on March 17th, we actually saw an increase in sales over last year because people just immediately wanted to support. Um, And then over time that just drops, it almost dropped dramatically when the office buildings closed um, because we just lost our base, you know, demographic, but um, you just start to see this fatigue and then you've got, you know, the big feed the front lines and, you know, feeding the hospitals. And that really kept a lot of businesses afloat for probably the month of April. But even those funds started running out, you know, and the, just people get exhausted. The people running those organizations, you know, never planned on doing them for that extended amount of time. Um, and it was always meant to be kind of a temporary thing. And when, when the people organizing get tired and the funds run out um, and the hospital workers have had, you know, free food every day for a month and it just kind of becomes more of an ordinary standard thing. Everything just starts losing its appeal. And we noticed that in May, just this, the things that kept us afloat in April were almost all charity, whether people were donating directly to us or donating to an organization and that organization was buying from us and come May, it just kind of dried up. Um, and And, you know, now some of that stuff is kind of holding on and people occasionally still reach out, but it's not a lifeline for us anymore. We just can't rely on it in that way. Um, But April was, I think, the month of charity. Every sale was somebody that just, they may not have even wanted the food. They ordered it and they said, just give it to somebody else. Like, we just wanted to give you the business. (laughs) We've got a lot of that. Um, I think a lot of businesses did. So I guess the if you look at it and you say, okay, there's March, April, and May, those looked one way, June, July, and August will look another. Um, What does the fall look like? I have no idea. And I think that's probably the biggest unknown is because there's some people that are really anticipating things will pick back up in September. And I think that's a huge gamble uh, to have that mindset because there's no, there's no guarantee that anything's going to pick back up in September. There's no guarantee that school's going to start and that people are going to go back to the office. They're just, you know, I, I haven't seen data that supports that. Yeah. I, I think it's also hard to, I try and be a realist as much as possible, but I have to look at the optimist, you know, side. It's almost like, I want to look at the negative and be proven wrong, you know, and like, you know, like, (laughs) please prove me wrong, but I'm going to plan for the worst, but I want the best, you know, result if that's kind of like a, you know, strange mindset to have, but that's kind of the mindset that I have right now. And it's like, okay, like, what are some of the things that y'all are doing to kind of prep yourselves for that forecast that you're looking Mm -hmm. at? So in the beginning, everything we did seemed like a very good short-term fix. And now we are looking at long-term fixes. So one of the best examples I can give was, um, you know, starting the farmer's market. So we're now a vendor at the Urban Harvest Farmer's Markets Mm -hmm. uh, market on Saturday on Buffalo Speedway from 8 to noon. That to us was a long-term solution. We may always be a vendor at the Urban, you know, like we may open, the offices might open up and people might come back and we will still do this. 
because we, we really feel like we need to all, we need to be, have a more diversified, um, revenue stream. It cannot, we, we no longer feel a hundred percent secure that the office can support, um, our greenway revenue in the way that it used to. Um, we, we feel like catering is going to look different. It might look like a lot less. We don't know, but a big chunk of our revenue at greenway was delivering to conference rooms within the office complex. Um, that's not going to happen in the same capacity it used to. I mean, I just, I just don't see it kind of getting back to where it was. And I honestly think that, um, there are going to be companies that say, you know what, this is more efficient keeping you guys at home. And so it's not going to be everybody. There are certainly going to be people that have to go back to the office. Um, but what we don't know what percentage of the workforce is going to change forever. Um, what percentage of, of the workforce is going to now become a permanently, you know, mobile uh, working from home um, office worker. And we have to plan for that. We have to plan for what if only 70% come back. Um, and the urban harvest farmer's market is part of our plan is, you know, we can still get our food to people. Um, we're trying to think of more things like that. Um, we're trying to think of how do we get to the consumer because the consumer can be anywhere. Um, and we used to be just so localized and our focus was just so much on this, you know, 1400 square foot kitchen and the offices that surround us. And our mindset is just so different now. Our mindset is where do we need to be and how do we get there? And um, we've had a lot of support from people, um, you know, Tyler Horn from the farmer's market, you know, helped us make that possible. Um, there's more markets, there's markets all over Houston and even outside of Houston. And that's just where our mind is at is just, you know, we, we have been as flexible as we can be with our mindset. And that I think has allowed us to survive this um, and will hopefully be the saving grace that, that sees us to the end um, or to the other side. Um, because we just can't think small like we were before. We just can't think so localized. Mm -hmm. uh, with all of this going on, has it um, helped you kind of plan what location number two is going to offer and look like and, and you know, what you'll have inside that location, you know, like it's, it's kind of like, at least it wasn't built and then this happened <laughs> and now you got to like re, re, redesign dining room or whatnot. Like you're yeah. able to make those changes before that full construction is all said and done. Is that at least kind of like a saving grace, you know, like, Hey, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. Yes. I definitely think it's a saving grace for a number of reasons. Um, for one, it's really good to be in construction and not try to be managing a second location right now. And, and we're so grateful that we don't have a whole different set of staff that we, you know, are worried about and, you know, stay up at night wondering how are we going to keep people employed right now? We only have to worry about it for this really small group. Like you said, that our family, some of them actually are family, mm -hmm. um, like, like literally family, but we, you know, so we feel really lucky that, you know, we just get to build this restaurant and we get to learn from what's going on right now. There's, but it's still a glass. It's like a, you know, it's a crystal ball. We don't know exactly what the, what is dining going to look like next year? Mm -hmm. If there's a vaccine and people feel safe, are they going to start eating indoors? Who knows? I mean, we really don't know. 
um, we have, we made a lot of um, good decisions that are almost just sheer coincidence, but our patio is massive. We thought from that we just don't need this much patio. We just don't need this much patio. And all of a sudden we're like, hey, it's so great that we've got this much patio, right? Because maybe people are only going to eat outside. Right. Um, I think that the fact that we're, we've always intended on being a neighborhood uh, restaurant, we chose, we really focused so much on finding a spot in Spring Branch because we wanted not only to be a neighborhood restaurant, but to be a neighborhood restaurant in our own neighborhood where we live. And it's always been so important to us. But I honestly think neighborhood restaurants um, have a better chance of surviving this because you've got the support of your neighborhood. Um, and we've already seen so much support from our Spring Branch neighborhood. Um, in some ways, it's just amazing how Spring Branch, the neighborhood of Spring Branch, has helped save Greenway Plaza. Um, and we can't wait to be open and get to feed everybody hot food because right now everybody's supporting us by ordering. <laughs> our cold reheat, you know, reheatable barbecue. So we're so excited to say, here's what it tastes like, you know, straight off the smoker. Right. Um, but the, the neighborhood aspect of our restaurant, um, I think is a really smart move. We, we could never have fully understood just how smart that move was until now. I think neighborhood restaurants stand the test of time when it comes to COVID-19 because they will have the support of their neighborhoods. Um, but in terms of like layout, yeah, I mean, we've scaled back on, we don't need as many tables. We're, we're not going to have, um, you know, we're taking some bar stools out. In fact, we're taking all the bar stools out in one area and it's going to be just this bar height table. And Patrick said, you know, this is kind of interesting because this is the way people used to eat barbecue. It's like you'd stand and eat quickly because it was the worker, you know, barbecue was the working class. Mm -hmm. And, um, so a lot of times you'd eat, you'd order your food, you'd get your, you know, you'd get your barbecue, you'd stand at the table, eat it quickly. And so it's almost like this homage to that style. Um, you know, so the barbecue historians will appreciate it, but it's, it's basically just out of the, you know, we're just looking at going, people aren't going to want to sit, mm -hmm. uh, next, you know, so closely next to somebody they don't know. Um, so we've had the ability to make those adjustments. Um, but we also, just like everybody else, we just don't really know what it's going to look like next March. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, at least at least now you can kind of dedicate space to, all right, this is going to be like the to-go area. This is going to be yeah. those third-party areas, you know, so that it doesn't disrupt the flow of everything else. Um, yeah. You know, and those are, I mean, like you said, it's going to be a constant curveball as, as we move forward, as new things develop, and, and who knows what people are going to be comfortable with. Um, but it's it's interesting that this flip has kind of happened because I mean think about like when you were in New York it was like if you weren't in a business location you couldn't get those business lunches you know your restaurant was effed you know you were done you yeah. know you had to yeah. be a, you know a special special you know like neighborhood restaurant type of thing and and even here in Houston it was like no one no one was home everybody commuted out to to their things and so the neighborhood restaurants you know they were I was like why are you even open for lunch you know like and Katie like why. <laughs> you know, like you get nothing out of this, you know? Yeah. Um, and now, you know, they're, they're kind of hitting it, hitting it hard and everybody else who's in the, it's just a strange flip on everybody, you know? So there was this meme like a couple of months ago that said, I'm sure you saw it. It might've even have been yours. 
but it's something like drive through 2019 drive through barbecue and it was like somebody like going ew gross like 20 2020 drive through barbecue <laughs> like of course drive through barbecue is probably killing it right now but yeah. who 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 that takes barbecue seriously would have ever thought hey we should open a barbecue restaurant with a drive through yeah. nobody but that's actually a great idea. In fact, Patrick and I are constantly looking at each other going, before, we, before it gets too late, should we consider a drive-through? And, and we keep talking ourselves out of it because we're very optimistic that things will go back to normal to some extent. Um, but I mean, we could really regret that. We could be two years down the road saying, hey, we're, adding, we're finally adding that drive-through because that's, that's the future of barbecue. Who wow. knows? It's crazy. What has been some of the wins and what has been some of the things that you've been able to kind of hang your hat on and say, you know what, through all of this, at least this is what's going right. You know, that, that silver lining that, that kind of keeps you going. I think, you know, we've really had to cut back on expenses and we, we figured out some things that we thought we, they, we thought they were essential and it turns out they're not. So I think we've learned some lessons that will benefit us on the, in the long run, you know, we'll probably always be a little stingier with how we spend our money um, for the business. We've, I think really gotten close to our team. I mean, they feel as much owners as, as we are and they're obviously not, but I think because, the every day, you know, every time we get to the middle of the week and we're like, gosh, our numbers look terrible this week. And then there's some Hail Mary or some post that just saves us or, you know, somebody calls and says they want to do a, a catering gig or they, they want to buy a hundred sandwiches for the homeless. It's like, it feels like a win for everybody. And we, we celebrate it that way. And we kind of get off the phone and we're like, oh my gosh, guys, we just got that big order that we needed. And everybody, it just truly feels to me like there's so much more invested in Fiji's barbecue um, than they were before. And I already felt like they were really committed and we had a lot of, you know, loyal workers, but it just feels like they really get it. They really get like how somewhat life and death this all feels like every day, you know, every sale, every customer service interaction, they truly get it. So I think that's been the, a big win. And then Patrick and I have learned so much. I mean, I never, this has been better than any business course I could have taken. I mean, just being able to navigate this, navigating the PPP loan, um, navigating, making critical business decisions on the fly, um, learning all sorts of skills. Um, you know, we have investors. So throughout all of this, we've really had to maintain communication um, and just continual reporting and just, you know, there's just uh, so many layers of, of business ownership that I feel like we just learned in a crash course that lasted three months. And now we've got to take everything we learned in the past three months and apply it to the next, you know, nine months and, um, and, and get to the other side of this. Yeah, I think, I think it's one of those where the entrepreneurs are learning so many new skill sets and learning so many new nuances of their business that, you know, the old adage, sales hides sins, you know, and, and so you, you could kind of get away with it or whatnot. And now it's, all right, how does this reheat when we, you know, vacuum seal it? Like, <laughs> okay, let's give it a try, you know? So, yeah. and by I the way, it reheats wonderfully. So <laughs> you, you got you. it down. <laughs> Thank you. I think so. That's another thing. Just to add to your question, we've always 
you know, we, I think we've always felt like we had a good product. Um, most people tell us they like our food every once in a while we get a, you know, some bad feedback, but for the most part, it's always been really positive, but it's not until a pandemic that you realize, um, that I really truly feel that we have a really good product. Um, and not just from like a salesy markety pitchy standpoint. I, if we didn't have a good product, we would for sure know it by now. Mm -hmm. And people continue to buy it and they continue to buy it cold and they continue to reheat it at home and we're still getting really good feedback. And so I think our, I think the quality of our products has um, really been a savior. Have you thought about doing something outside of barbecue, either at the farmer's market or at another pop-up or something along those lines? Like kind of, you know, something that maybe has a smoke element, but isn't the traditional, you know, chopped brisket, you know, or, or ribs or something along those lines. Yeah. I mean, we're, our menu for spring branch is very much along those lines of it's not, it's not, it's going to have true barbecue, but the whole menu is going to, is going to have more. Um, so it's going to have composed dishes with smoked elements. Um, I think it's going to be more of like a chefy menu um, for Patrick and I to have a lot of fun with. And, you know, we're hoping to hire, you know, a chef that can also put their thumbprint on it. Um, but in terms of like what we're serving now, I think what's so important right now, and I think a lot of, a lot of businesses are realizing this is we've got to just streamline, like instead of adding menu items, it's kind of about figuring out what works and then sticking to those few items because with revenue down, um, you know, in some cases, 20%, 30%, 40%, you, you really just have to remove, you know, the miscellaneous mm -hmm. um, and, and narrow everything down and cut your losses. And so now it's not really a time where we're like, okay, let's totally think of these crazy, cool menu ideas. Although pa Patrick's done a few things, like we had the barbacoa plate, which has sold really well. Um, but that made perfect sense. And it was a solution for not having brisket when um, brisket prices skyrocketed. Um, but otherwise, we're really, you know, we're really trying to streamline. Has it made you hone your craft a little bit more? You know, where it's like, you know, hey, you know what? Each brisket really does count, you know? Yeah. The trim, you know, gosh, trimming's never been so critical. Um, if you over trim these briskets, like these briskets are three times as expensive as they, you know, used to be. Everything matters. Everything. Um, yeah. Trimming, yield, um, making sure that we're serving the correct portions, you know, that we're not heavy handed. Um, all those things we used to pay attention to, but never as much as we are now. Um, waste, how can we, you know, we're vacuum sealing everything. Um, our vacuum sealer is like the MVP of our COVID-19 experience. Um, I, I honestly, it has helped us save product. It has helped us minimize waste. It has helped us create storage solutions because we can put them in these bags roll them flat and fit three times as much into our cooler. Um, it's just created a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of solutions and, and no problems. There've been no negative, negative uh, consequences of our um, vacuum sealing. We're working on a HACCP plan. Um, so it's been, it's been our savior. 
That's awesome. That's good. Um, I think, I think finding those solutions and things like that is critical at this time. What, um, what would you ask, maybe not necessarily like a customer or something like that, but you know, like your customer, but like if, if, if you're just talking for the industry in general, what would you like to ask that, you know, the populace is looking to do, you know, like what are some of the creative ways that they can support that is not just the takeout or the dine-in, you know, type of thing? I mean, that's a good question. I honestly think if I was able to ask the populace a question, it wouldn't be about support for restaurants. I think it would more so be about what would, what could we do that would make you comfortable that's sustainable. Now we're really lucky. We haven't had a positive uh, COVID test in our restaurant. We've got a really small staff um, and we, every week we scare them into not doing anything social. Um, but you know, at some point I feel like it's inevitable. It's going to happen to us. It's happened to so many people we know and people that are very responsible and whose staffs are very responsible, but it's just going to happen, right? It's not sustainable for restaurants to close every time. I mean, uh, otherwise they're just going to close and not ever be able to reopen. You know, at some point you just can't do that. So I think we have to ask ourselves as an industry and as, um, public community that supports the industry what are we com what how do we make everybody comfortable and how do we keep it sustainable mm -hmm. and this i think that's the big question that we all need to be asking ourselves because if you think that georgia james and i'm just using this as an example can afford to close two or three more times because they get a positive test result they can't Right. Fiji's barbecue, we haven't had to close yet. We're going to close voluntarily in, in July and that's going to hurt, but it's going to hurt a lot less because it's for four days and not, you know, 10 to 14 days. We will lose all of the restaurants in this community if the expectation is that we close. And maybe that is the expectation. Maybe that is the only safe way we can do this. But if that is the route that we have to take, we will in fact lose a lot of restaurants because there's no way between now and a vaccine that we can keep our staff safe and, and, mm -hmm. and COVID free. I just, the numbers just aren't showing that that's even in the realm of possibility. So we need a solution that we're comfortable with and is sustainable. And I think that is a question for the public. I think it's a question for the public guided by statistics and science um, and and other examples, like what are hospitals doing? Because hospital healthcare workers are testing positive. They don't close. Obviously, they can't, right? Mm -hmm. um, grocery stores aren't closing. There are systems in place that are working for them, and we need to figure out what we can do in restaurants that won't scare people. Because if you say, hey, we had a positive test result, but we're not closing, I mean, gosh, that would scare, I think, a lot of people away from eating, and I, I totally understand that. So we need to answer this question. Um, and really figure it out. Yeah, that's, you know, cause like you're talking about, if you're on a rotation for restaurants, like, you know, let's say your customers are like, hey, I'm gonna go this week, you know, if you have to close because of COVID, it may be four or five weeks before they're coming back, you know, simply just right. because that's just how we function, you know, or if, if it's a rotation basis or, you know, Hey, I haven't thought about Fijis, you know, because I didn't catch it on my newsfeed or something like that. Um, yeah. but yeah, well, the, go ahead. 
I would say the testing, the testing chaos is only compounding the issue. So if you send your staff out to get tested, they may not get a result for two weeks. What do you do in that two weeks? I mean, I feel like, do you close because there's a chance that they're positive or do you stay open because you don't know if they're positive yet? And then once you get that test result back, it's like, oh, well, you've already cleared. That person's obviously been home and quarantining, right? So now you've cleared the two week threshold. Do they just come back? And you know what I mean? It puts, there's just so many layers and layers and layers of questions that as a business owner, I have not stopped thinking about. And like I said, we're just so lucky it hasn't happened yet, but it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And what are the answers to those questions? What do we do? And if it takes two weeks to get a test result back, um, that's not viable at all. And if we're sending our staff out to get a rapid test, then the next question is, well, is it really a reliable result? Um, I mean, there are no good solutions that really aren't. Um, I think that the government really wasted a lot of valuable time not preparing the community for any kind of a second wave of, um, of virus. I mean, where the system is, is not prepared to handle the amount of tests right now. They have the tests but they're not able to process them. They're not able to communicate and, and call and, and give test results quickly. Um, so as a business owner, it really kind of leaves the, the black, it's not black and white. It should be black and white, right? It should be mm-hmm. very clear, Co- you know, chance of COVID stay home, don't work close, you know, whatever, but it's not, it's just this huge gray area because of timing and, and how long it takes. And, um, just all these layers of, of not knowing what to do and how to do it. Is there, is there leadership that you know of that can help move this t- kind of forward? Like, are there, are there people that we can promote or, or like even on, you know, this channel's small platform, are there people that we could possibly reach out to, to give them the platform so that they could say, Hey, here's what, here's what the community needs to be aware of. If you're comfortable going to a grocery store and that grocery store has, you know, tested, you know, positive for having a case of COVID-19, the, the similarities between a restaurant, you know, Hey, like let's, let's get some clear information for them so that the industry, cause it seems like the industry, it seems like the restaurant industry is getting hit. And I know bars and gyms and and other you know movie theaters and so forth are getting hit it just seems like the restaurant one is 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 the target for you know hey you have the most contact points or something along those lines Mm -hmm. you know and and so you have to shut down you know yeah i mean so i definitely think we're in a really unique situation in houston because we've got the medical center plus one of the largest, you know, um, populations of restaurants, um, especially independent restaurants. And so you've got these populations of people that have uh, expertise in these areas. And I think all it takes is just getting them together, creating some guidelines, working with the local health department and establishing what those guidelines are and saying, okay, this is, um, you know, this, this is how we're going to proceed for the next, you know, nine months or whatever, um, however long we need to. I think that it needs to be largely created by the restaurants themselves because of the experiences that we've had throughout this um, with, you know, the backing of the health community. And I think that, um, you know, you get a name like Chris Shepard mm-hmm. to endorse it. 
um, you know, and some other big names around Houston. And I think it really starts to have some momentum. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking so much time. I know this, these aren't easy conversations or easy questions. I wish they were more lighthearted, you know. Well, um, it was fun anyways. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I'm trying to think of like a podcast, you know, type of series or something that's just like non-restaurant, not like, tell me your favorite movies, you know, and let's discuss, <laughs> let's discuss your favorite movies. And if it's a restaurant related movie, pick another movie because I don't want right? to, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, like our restaurant has been, podcast. say that again. I like the idea of that podcast. Okay. Okay. Once I, once I nail it down, I'll, uh, I'll tell everybody we're going to do a Netflix uh, podcast with chefs where they have to tell me what their favorite episode of Avatar The Last Airbender was, you know, so, you know, and how it relates to your life, you know, <laughs> that's been our saving grace with Lachlan. So, so he, yeah. he got into Avatar and I was like, yes, this is a cool cartoon. So yay, we yeah. can do this. <laughs> we, we're keeping it to Curious George because we can all handle it. Hey, that's a good one. <laughs> I tell yeah. you what, we, we, we picked up a bunch of Curious George books and uh, Lachlan just fell in love with it. So those are, those are easy, fun reads that still have some lessons to them. So yeah. maybe it'll be the parenting corner, you know, something like that too, you know? I like that. <laughs> As a parent, I like that. There you go. Well, Aaron, again, I really appreciate it. If you wouldn't mind just uh, letting our listeners know, um, you know, where they can follow you, what's, you know, kind of your current state of operations, but where they could get some information if, if they want to come out and support Fiji's Barbecue. Yeah. So my um, Instagram handle is personally Aaron. Um, if you want to follow any restaurant related stuff, um, the Instagram handle is at Fiji's BBQ. Um, definitely head to our website, www.fijusbbq.com for all of the latest news on where we'll be popping up and cooking. And, um, you know, like I said, we're really mobile these days. So there's, uh, all the, all the information is on the website as well as our menu and online ordering. Awesome. And if anybody hasn't been to the website, I think you've got it laid out perfectly for, you know, all the different options that are available. Um, and the timing of it seems to be perfect too, you know, like where, if you want to order for Sunday, you know, you, you can, you can place that order and everything, which I, I hate to say it. I, I kind of like that system, especially when it comes to barbecue, because I like pulling up and knowing that I'm going to get my barbecue, you know, I don't have to wait in line, you know? So it's yeah. like my silver lining as a customer, <laughs> I hope it doesn't hurt y'all as much, but man, it's kind of nice to hit up two barbecue joints because I know I can hit one at 11 and then I can hit another one at noon and I'm not waiting in line, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think online ordering is going to go away for bar. I think that's, it's here to stay. We've <laughs> talked to other barbecue places like truth and some other, I mean, I think we're all in agreement. Like you just can't take it away. We've, we've introduced it and now it's here to stay. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, um, I know off uh off camera and off mic you know we've we've had a few conversations and things like that and just kind of watching y'all it seems like you know the the composure that y'all have had through all of this is incredible and i applaud it to the nth degree um because i don't know if i would have been able to handle myself or handle someone's you know with a rude comment on facebook at the very you know it's uh, my patience is this long <laughs> And Lachlan takes it to about this long, you know, my son. So having someone just troll me online, I'm like, oh, you know what? I might have to just find your house, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I appreciate that compliment. It's not easy. Well, but, to, to, oh, sorry. 
No, no, no. I was just going to say to do that and also the barbecue at the level that you're still doing it at and all the other things that you're doing at, and it's still delicious and incredible. Um, that's, that's just wonderful. So you and Patrick are doing an awesome job. Thank you. We awesome. really appreciate that. <laughs> of course, of course. All right, guys, uh, for my listeners, please go out and support local if you can. Uh, every small business really appreciates it. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast. Five stars, five stars. We're out.